Hey, uh, go ahead and grab your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to uh, prepare our hearts for the Lord's table this morning, so you can turn there. Uh, this past week, I'm thankful for lots of encouragement and blessings from you, my beloved church family. I, had a, I celebrated a birthday this week, and, um, and we had uh, just a great, great time. My, my staff, our ministers, gathered around me and laid hands on me, prayed over me on Thursday morning at our weekly prayer gathering that we have. And on Thursday night, uh, I did one of my favorite things in, 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 the, uh, in, in, the, in my life, I should say, uh, and it was to go out with, with Stacy. We went out, just the two of us, on a birthday uh, dinner, and we went to a great Mexican place and uh, thought, hey, it's my birthday, you know, I'm just going to eat this Mexican food, and it was outstanding. I got home, and my daughter Whitney, her husband Jeff, they brought me the sprinkles cupcake and uh so I didn't have dessert at the Mexican place so I was I was full but it was my birthday so you know are you not going to eat a chocolate cupcake with chocolate sprinkles on it so I wasn't hungry but you you know you know what I did I mean I ate it and it was outstanding and my I was having a happy birthday and then all of a sudden after that I was I was not so happy anymore. Um, I just, I, I just kind of, it was, it was great, delicious, unhealthy, and I wasn't feeling so hot after all of that. So I sat back and, and thought, man, have you ever done that before? I mean, come on, let's be honest. Has anybody in here ever eaten more than you probably should? You know, we do this on a spiritual level too, don't we? I want to ask you, do you ever feel like what you're feel, filling your life with isn't satisfying? Not really making you happy? Have you ever gone after something, seeking, you know, to, to fill some desire? It's going to make me happy, only to realize that in, in the end, it, it just makes you sick. I think we've all been there. Jesus steps into that and he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Elizabeth and Kevin Blair referenced it earlier. Listen to this, the word of God. In fact, let's say it together. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This month we've been looking at the question, uh, really, how can we be truly happy? This word we've said blessed means happy. It can be translated in different ways, but really it's an enviable life. It's the life that everybody ultimately wants to have. Blessed are those, Jesus says, over and over here in the Beatitudes. We're looking at this counterintuitive alternative kingdom that he's called us to live in, in the here and now. And, and it is a radical way to live. Jesus says that those who are really happy are those who are going to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, Jesus' first hearers, like many people in the world, uh, they didn't live in our context, right? They, we, we laugh and identify with my birthday story, but these people knew about hunger. They knew about what it was to thirst, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, most people in the world uh, can't imagine what it would be like to actually eat so much that you'd just be filled up, even to the point of not feeling so well. One billion people in the world today 
don't know where their meal's coming from, where their food is coming from today. And it's why we're involved in ministries that are helping to feed the poor here in our city and around the world. We're involved with a group called Last Well. The Last Well is seeking to take water to the entire country of Liberia by 2020, and they're on track to do so. Ryan, too, is on their staff. He's a member of our church, and a portion of our budget goes to help people who don't have physical food and water to drink, people in our own city. See, instead, our country, in our society, think about it, hunger and thirst are actually signs of good things to come. I mean, just talking about Mexican food and sprinkles, some of you are thinking, you know, I'm, I'm getting kind of hungry, and it doesn't lead us, lead us towards kind of painful pangs and, and desires. It actually, oh, wait, wait a minute, it must be, it's getting closer, it's getting closer to lunchtime is what it is. And the closer we get, you do this all week long, don't you? I did. This week, I was in meetings all day, it was Wednesday, and uh, I realized I'm starting to get a little hungry. And I knew my next meeting was going to be a lunch meeting. So my hunger pangs, if you will, I look at my watch and I thought, it's getting close to noon. That's when we eat is noon. That's when, this is great that I'm hungry and thirsty. See, we actually go a different route here. And I say all this because here in our culture, you know, we actually, hunger produces happy thoughts. But Jesus is talking about, of course, metaphorically talking about another kind of craving, a thirst and a hunger. He says happy people are actually hungry people. Not in the way that we think of hunger. Those who stay hungry, those who stay thirsty. Jesus would say, as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, he wants us to look hard. With this simple uh, verse, he's saying, let's look hard at what we consume, what we desire, what we actually need, and then what we can find to truly satisfy our souls. Look at it again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now we've said what blessed means. Happy. Happy are those who grieve, he has said. Happy are the needy. Happy are the gentle. Happy are those today who are hungry. As he speaks metaphorically, he's saying to us those who, who, who crave and desire, who are ravenous for. But notice too that he says they'll be filled. This word, satisfied, you can see it may be translated filled, filled up. And it was used to fatten an animal. It could actually be used to gorge yourself. Now again, we don't think of that as being a, a satisfying experience, but he's saying, no, you're going to be satisfied. You're going to be completely filled up to the, to the depth of your being. So the key question as we enter into thoughts here, enter into this word, among the many things that you're pursuing, among the many things that you're craving, that you're desiring is, watch this, righteousness, one of them. In fact, Jesus would say, is it the main thing that you're pursuing? So here's what I want to do. I'm going to frame it this way. I'm going to talk about how to maintain a spiritual appetite, okay? Or, or how to become spiritually healthy. Again, unlike the first century uh, context, in many parts of the world, people don't have clean, clean water to drink and food. But here in Dallas, you are probably paralyzed by the question that we're often paralyzed by. When Stacy and I think, where do you want to go to dinner or for my birthday? So many options that you just say, I don't know where to begin. 
Here in Dallas, we have so much food to eat. The problem is not that we don't have food to eat. For many of us, our conversations are more around not where are we going to find food and drink, but how can we eat a bit more healthy meals? How can I lose weight? How can I stop eating so much, right? I think what Jesus is saying, first of all here, you need to change your diet. You need to change your diet. Is the diet that you're eating a healthy spiritual diet? Again, what are you hungry for? It all starts with our cravings, our desires. And how would you know? How would you know if you're eating a healthy spiritual diet? Well, I'll give you a few challenges here. Show me how you spend your time and I'll show you what you desire, what you're seeking in some way to make you happy. Show me, can I say it? Show me your bank account. I'll show you what you're consuming. Show me where your money goes. I'll show you what, what you think uh, or how you think you're going to leverage your resources in order to be satisfied. Show me your calendar. Show me how you spend your time each day. And I'll show you what your real diet is. So the challenge for us, I think, becomes, that, tell, me, tell me how much time you spend in God's word. This is a challenging statement, question for us. Tell me how much time you spend praying. Tell me how much time you spend devoted to the kingdom of God and his work in the world, in serving others, in ministry, not just here on our campus, but yes, devoted to the body of Christ. Are you giving towards the kingdom of God through your church? How much are you giving over to the Lord? It reveals what your main staple is. Jesus says the main staple of our diet should be righteousness. We'll get there in a moment. Look, secondly, he's saying, I think, eliminate junk food, right? It's not so much, again, that we don't have food to eat, uh, but we often talk about the common pursuits in our culture of materialism, success, and power, positions, the approval of others our performance in some certain area of our lives. And and the Lord says, no, 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 look, you need to eliminate the, the kind of ravenous pursuit and desires that you have. And many of us are consuming a lot seeking to be happy. And the Lord says, how's that working out for you? We're consuming so much and still not happy. In fact, for many people, In our context here in Dallas, I think a lot of us, this endless dissatisfaction is actually what gets many of us out of bed in the morning, if we're honest. We keep pressing on. Of course, this is not new. The Bible has an entire book about a man, it's called Ecclesiastes, about a man named Solomon who had all the ability and resource in the world to pursue happiness in all of these things that I've talked about, and it couldn't be done. He's proven it for us. We suffer from what's called selective eating disorder. We have a certain diet that we run hard after, and yet it's a diet that does not fill the soul. So again, I'd ask you, is righteousness the thing that you're pursuing above all else? I think Jesus would say to us, I think what he's saying in this verse, he's saying, listen, we need to develop a healthy diet. All right, so so we need to change our diet. We need to eliminate junk food and we need to develop a healthy diet. He finishes his statement by by telling us what we should crave. And he actually tells us where we can find it. And it's surprising. You probably have seen this verse before if you've grown up in church at all. 
But it's like someone who suggests, hey, why don't we do this? Or maybe presents to you a meal that you've never had before. Some taste that you've never had and you're blown away. Or maybe if someone hadn't mentioned it, you would have never thought, yes, let's go eat Italian food for lunch. Let's do that. It's kind of like that. Jesus says, here's what you need. It's righteousness. Righteousness is what will ultimately satisfy you. In fact, he says it's the one thing that you need in your diet above all else. I could say it this way. It's the one nutrient that's going to actually satisfy the soul. That's why in Matthew 6, he says this. You may know this verse well. Let's all read this collectively together. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Now in that context, he's saying you seek righteousness and everything else in your life will follow. There's only one first. And he says, seek God and his kingdom. Hunger and thirst for righteousness more than anything else. Now, I've talked a lot about righteousness and a lot of us don't know what it is. Not really. I've been in groups even recently said, so what is righteousness? Talk to me. What is righteousness? And there's often kind of crickets in there and there's silence. We have a sense that it means rightness, justice. In fact, the word can be translated both ways and it is throughout the Bible. Justice, righteousness, what is right, even holy. Those words are interchangeable. But I want to talk about this one dish that God tells us, Jesus says that we're going to eat from and it's actually going to satisfy us. And so I want to spend just a moment talking about the four ingredients of righteousness. And here's what I mean. I'm breaking it down this way because this word is broad and it means a lot in the Bible. First, it means justice and peace. It's almost like salt and pepper. These two go together as we put together this dish that Jesus calls righteousness. In the book of Isaiah chapter 32, it says this, you can see it there, and the effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. You see, throughout the Old Testament, where justice is taking place, the Bible calls it righteousness. Okay? It's, a, it, it's really a social form of justice. Now, you know this. A lot of people in our country would rise up and say that, you know, and applaud that verse. And say, man, if we just have social justice across the, the United States, then we will be a righteous people. I don't know that they'd say it that way, but this is a form that many people would rise up and applaud. But this requires another form of righteousness the Bible talks about. It's right actions by right people. And so the next ingredient here of the four is doing right deeds. Righteousness is described in the book of Job. Listen to what he says. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and turban. He's saying, I wore it. It was my life. I put it on. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I love this. I was a father to the needy and I searched out the cause of him whom I did not know. You see, another way that righteousness is used in the Old Testament, really throughout the Bible, the Bible calls doing right things righteousness. But right actions must be done by right people. So there's another way this word is used. It's being declared righteous. We see this in the story of Abraham, where God reckons him or declares him righteous. And we don't have time to go there, but not because of his works, but because of his faith. 
God declares him righteous. In fact, it's, it's, it's worth noting that in Jesus' statement here, he says they will be satisfied. Those who pursue these forms of righteousness will be satisfied. It's a passive verb. I want you to notice that. This is not something you do. It's something that's done to you, if you will. You see, we can't be righteous on our own. You will be filled. You will be satisfied if you pursue righteousness. It's why Paul says in Romans chapter 5, look at this. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Maybe for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were unrighteous. Christ died for the unrighteous. In Romans 8, he says this, Therefore, since we have been justified, watch this, that means declared righteous. We have been declared righteous by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, many people think, okay, if, if I'll just act with justice and seek justice and social reform, if I do right things, and all of these are, are definitions of righteousness, if I, maybe I can just declare myself righteous. And that's what many people do. I am righteous because I do these things. But we have a problem. Romans 3.10 says there are none that are righteous. No one is righteous. Regardless of how much we seek to do to make ourselves righteous, there's a final ingredient that brings all of this together. In fact, you could argue comes first, and it's God's saving actions. Righteousness is described as God's saving actions. We see this throughout all of the Bible, creation. We see it in the fall and even in the exodus, the judgment of his people. All that God does is to draw people to him. All of his acts are right and just. And his justice is to draw us to himself. And ultimately, he does, through, does so through Christ upon the cross. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Look at this. Not only does Jesus tell us what we need to be satisfied, he tells us where we're going to find it. It's going to be found in him. Satisfaction is found in Christ alone. I could say it this way. Righteousness is not a destination. Righteousness is a relationship with a person, watch this, who is our righteousness. He covers us in his righteousness so that we become like him. We're declared, reckoned as righteous. Then all of our righteous acts follow and we could flip the ingredients around. We're declared righteous. We do right deeds and justice and peace are what we see in our relationships, in our homes and in our city. So here's what the Lord would say to us in light of this one single verse today. He would say, come to the table. Come to me. All you who labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me 
and learn from me for I am gentle. We talked about this last week. And, and, and lowly in heart and you will find rest. There it is. Satisfaction. You'll be filled up. Your soul will be filled. The invitation is to an intimate relationship with God himself through Christ. Told you about my little birthday date with Stacy. You know, in my crazy schedule, there's nothing I like more, I think, than just to go be alone with her, just the two of us. And, and we'll, be, we'll be eye to eye, knee to knee, toe to toe, heart to heart, across the table, just the two of us. And this is what the Lord wants with you. This is what he desires of you and from you. In Revelation 3.20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door. And he's knocking, friend, today. This verse is for believers. We often use it in evangelistic kind of conversations. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Yes, this is for all people. It's for believers and unbelievers. He's saying, I want you to come to the table of my forgiveness, the table of my grace. Dine with me. Walk with me. And all of this has been made possible only through the cross. You know, there are two symbols the Lord's given us. We call them ordinances. Two ordinances he's given us so that we might remember what he's done. One is baptism. When we receive Christ, we let the world know. We've seen it today. We declare that we have been saved by his sacrifice upon the cross. Like him. We die to ourselves. We are completely forgiven. We're raised up to walk a new life with him. The other ordinance then that follows, baptism, salvation, baptism first, then we can partake of the Lord's Supper. And only as believers we partake and say, yes, this is a reminder of the body of Christ. And this is drink for us. Watch this. His sustenance his grace becomes the nutrient the sustenance of our lives it's why we actually partake and we're going to do that here this morning so as we set our hearts toward the table i want you to spend uh, a moment and spend all of this time even as the elements are passed being reminded of what god has done he desires an intimate relationship with you today so let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm going to pray for us here as we set our hearts on the table. Lord, we now turn our hearts towards you. We give you all that we are, and I pray that you'll bless our time as we, as we serve one another and as we receive your grace anew today. Lord, we thank you for this reminder that we can come to the table of your grace. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for taking time to watch this sermon. If you would like more information about our church or following Jesus, please go to our website, pcbc.org, or contact our church offices. We hope to see you next week at church.